I, I want to welcome you to today's edition of The Bradley Hall Show. And I am your host, The Bradley Hall. Okay, I want to share something with you that I am really excited about. My new course, The Role of Meditation in Holistic Healing, is available now. In this course, I explore more about the history of meditation as well as the proven healing properties and benefits of meditation. I share with you various medical and scientific studies and experiments that are corroborating what gurus and mystics have known for thousands of years that meditation is actually an integral part of holistic healing. Plus, for a limited time, I have thrown in 10 free guided meditations at the end of the course. So don't delay. Let's get started on your healing journey now. Go to www.lifeintruthacademy.com to register. Welcome back to the Bradley Hall Show. Obviously, I am your host, the Bradley Hall. Today, my guest is a friend of mine, Will Wissmiller. Will is an, a certified advanced trauma recovery coach with the International Association of Trauma Recovery Coaches. That's how we know each other through the association. And Will, like me, has a passion for helping people overcome and navigate uh, the effects of CPTSD, which is complex post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, which is what we commonly see in trauma survivors. And Will's uh, been gracious enough to join us today, and we're going to talk a little bit about um, about what he does and uh, a little bit about his story. And I think we're going to talk a little bit about um, the collective trauma that we're all going through with COVID-19. So I'm glad you're here, and uh, please join me in, in welcoming uh, Will. Welcome, Will. Thanks, Bradley. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you bet. I'm I'm excited to have you here. I've been looking forward uh, to this conversation. So, great. All right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I just explained to everyone that you are a trauma, uh, an advanced certified advanced trauma recovery coach with the International Association of Trauma Recovery Coaches, and that's how how we know each other. Um, yes. You want to, but I didn't. I, I know we had talked about a bio. You shared some information. I didn't get to share all that information. I want to give you a chance to do that now, if you'd like to. Sure, sure. So, so yes, I've gone through the initial training, been in the advanced training, and now I'm working on the supervisory uh, aspect through the International Association of Trauma Recovery Coaches and or coaching. And um, so, I, I'm really passionate about what the the purpose and and mission and vision is of the association. So, I'm glad to be a part of that with Bradley and among others who are uh, in that association all over the world, um, really trying to, you know, offer trauma-informed services to people who either, number one, couldn't find access to or couldn't afford access or um, couldn't get the kind of care that they were looking for to heal from from various types of trauma. Uh, so being a part of that has, has changed my life, and I'm glad to be a part of an association that's got that kind of vision, and um, I believe that they're doing a great job. Um, of being a part of the change that we all kind of want to see. Um, you know, there's a lot of trauma survivors coming and getting this training. And so uh, there's a shared collective of people that seem to, to have this shared desire to see the world change and shift as far as how people heal from trauma. Um, and then I also have the neuroaffective touch background and I use that in my brick and mortar office when we're not under uh, social distancing rules. So right now that's slowed down significantly. Sure. But, um, so is it a little hard to that. do that over the internet? A little hard, but it does inform what I do. It goes very well um, with the, the trauma recovery coaching because the languaging that we study and we use uh, plus what informs that the, you know, the polyvagal theory, um, having an, uh, an intricate knowledge of the neuroaffective relational model, which means, you know, the felt sense in the body, kind of like a somatic experiencing approach of feeling in the body and also understanding how the, how the mind is trying to keep the body safe. So that it goes very well hand in hand with the coaching. Um, those are my two main passions. Uh, I also have studied 
not certified, but have studied with um, uh, through, oh gosh, Diane Heller, um, Diane Poole Heller with attachment theory and relationships. And I love to work with people who are, you know, wanting to get past feeling stuck in relationships or patterns and things like that. So that, that goes hand in hand with the stuff too. Sure. Sure. Okay, great. I, I appreciate you sharing all that. Let's, um, let's start a little bit with, um, actually, I, you are the first person other than Bobby that has joined me on my podcast from the association. So, oh, wonderful. Yeah, Thank yeah, you. yeah. I'm, I, I mean, I, I have, uh, I've, I've talked to a few people. I have several, several of them lined up. We got a range of, and I hope this isn't the first. I'd like to, I'd like to um, have a lot of you uh, on here that we can talk about what the association is doing and talk about trauma. Sure. There's so much to talk about. Um, but right now, what I, I, what I'd like to discuss is you and I to, to kind of discuss um, the difference between coaching and therapy and why this coaching association is, um, is so important. I'm going to, I'm actually going to talk to Bobby. Um, the next episode is going to, it's going to be with Bobby. We're going to talk a little bit more about it, but um, I want to give you the chance to kind of, kind of jump that. Um, yes. because many people don't understand that there, there's a big difference between coaching and therapy. Yes. Yeah. I mean, um, myself, my own story, you know, I've been through a lot of therapy and done a lot of self-help through the years. Um, couldn't ever find that connection that I was looking for or that healing that I was looking for. Um, so coming across the association in, in the first place and getting into this training really shifted my mindset as to there is a big difference between what, what I like to just simplify and say is a relational model of trauma-informed healing. You know, you can get, not to say that there aren't therapists uh, out there or counselors or social workers or any other field that is uh, more informed by a medical model, but this relational aspect of coaching uh, as opposed to therapy is the huge uh, difference for me uh, and for my clients. Being able to relate, being able to really attune to where somebody's at, uh, being able to share story you know, if somebody is struggling with something, I'm, I feel we're generally going to attract to us the types of clients who are drawn to us for whatever reason, whether they just see in the way that we carry ourselves and it's nonverbal or they hear us speaking about uh, childhood traumas, sexual abuse, um, physical abuse. Maybe it's uh, somebody's just hears me talk about how I struggled for years w with my uh, employers or bosses or something, whatever it is that connects us. They're generally drawn towards something that they see in themselves and that relational aspect of being able to really connect um, to create a relationship a sort of a surrogate you know relationship where we build trust within that relationship and we try to get the client back into a self-trust state because in my own story as well as a lot of my clients we uh, especially with early childhood trauma complex trauma which you know that developed in the early developmental years and not just that, but that's, that's what I'm, uh, that's kind of my comfort zone who I really like to work with the most because that was my story. And we come in with this, not trusting ourselves in the world. You know, it, it, it goes beyond just not trusting people because things happen to us, but learning to trust someone else. So coming to trust a coach, um, learning to trust the self, I feel is the next step and then helping walking alongside that client as they're learning to trust themselves and seeing them learn to trust the world again would be the last step of that. Um, you know, whereas without that relational aspect, without that feeling of being able to walk alongside somebody, I think uh, there's a lot missing from other medical, more, more traditional medical models of, uh, of trying to heal from trauma. So not to say that we have a corner on this that, that other people can't do that. But I, I really enjoy the fact that this, we, we dive into, you know, what's going on with trauma. We can share the neurobiological aspects of, of trauma with the clients and help them to understand that what's happening in their system is not something that's happening right now. It's a response to something that happened to them before. Um, and more on the difference, I guess we're, we have limitations, obviously. Coaches are not therapists. We're not psychologists, psychiatrists. We don't prescribe medicine. We don't diagnose anything. You know, it's very much client-led, meaning if the client wants to work towards goals or wants to shift something or change something, it's all about 
what the client wants and being able to be in that pseudo relationship with them is very powerful. So yeah. that's how I see it as the main difference. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I'd like to kind of break that down a little bit because there, there, there are three, three components to what you just said. Um, the, the first one is I like, I like, I use this term also when you said walk alongside. And uh, Bobby and I discussed this previously uh, on a previous episode that coaching really is, is designed to exist along with therapy, yes. inside with therapy to assist therapy, or it's a passive baton and take it from here once someone has moved beyond therapy. And I like to, I've given that a lot of thought, and I like to think of this as, as that therapy is more the the, uh, the operative intelligence gathering. This is, this is figuring out what's happened, what's going to happen, uh, gathering the information, putting the whole thing together to understand the entire picture. And that coaching is more the tactical approach to take, it, take that information to figure out what we're going to do with it and let's create a plan to move forward. Uh, would, would you agree with that assessment? I, I agree. I think that there's, there, there's obviously a spectrum of that, right? If you have somebody right. who comes to you a little earlier um, in their trauma recovery, maybe they just started working with a the therapist and they're coming to you, their nervous system more highly activated throughout a session and you're helping them to learn to titrate that up and down as much like therapists can do as well. Um, you know, but they come to us in that state of not re maybe not necessarily ready to jump into a, a relationship that challenges them towards goals, but learning how to just calm themselves, ground themselves. So it could be a little slower in the beginning of a coaching relationship like that versus somebody coming to us who, man, I've been going to therapy for, for 30 years and I've just never heard anybody explain it the way that a coach, that, that a trauma recovery coach does, because now I understand what's happening when I get triggered or I'm in an emotional yeah. flashback, this response, and I, I just give me everything. Tell me, tell me what I can do. I want, I want to get here. Maybe it's, I feel like I'm always afraid to say anything to my boss and I want to work on just being assertive, but in setting boundaries, you know, and we can really challenge somebody if they've already got a lot of work under their belt. So there is a little bit of a spectrum there, but I agree. The triage maybe has already been done. If they've worked in therapy, if they've had a diagnosis, they, yeah. they've gained some understanding and then they come to us. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for the, and, and, and part two of that would be all the coaches that I've met, we all have a trauma induced background. We, we all have experienced this and we, we've all have, varying degrees of recovery but we're one it's 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 like we have traversed the path and then we've gone back to get someone else to help guide them through the same path that, that we walk through which uh, leads me into the third point that um not only not only we experience our own trauma so we have these skills that we've adopted on our own but the curriculum is trauma is trauma focused and a lot of therapy is not trauma informed. Um, a lot of a lot of therapists may understand trauma, but they don't have the the intense trauma training, uh, so to speak. Not not all of them, of course. That's an overgeneralization. I'm sure there are therapists that are, but I know in my case, um, in my in in my 20 years of recovery, many of the therapists I saw didn't. We never discussed any of this, you know, uh, and and. We, we had some basic discussions, but they never really got deep into the trauma. They never, inf and, they, and they never informed me of the trauma. I had to go out right. and find the answers on my own and to figure out what was happening, why it was happening because of what happened. And, um, and then obviously I found the association. And so now there's an entire program of people like us who have gone through this whole thing. We figured out what, through experience what's going on. And then right. we're given all this information that, that this is what this is called. This is what this is called. This is why this happened. This is what this happened to give us those extra tools to come back, to have the, um, the understanding to be able to, like you said, attune uh, with our clients and, and uh, to really help them from a, from a simple a, a standpoint of empathy. We, we really yeah. understand, we do really understand what they're going through. Right. I think that that is a powerful that's an expression of how powerful the association is in of itself. You know, someone may come seeking this kind of help and they might, they might see a Bradley or a Will, but then realize that there's a whole 
association full of people looking to help others and they might drill down and find someone else who really fits with what they're they've gone through because of the trauma background that someone else has that brought them into their passion to work with others maybe through addiction through um, more of a a uh, NPE background right or having um, gosh just about anything it, it, I don't want to start naming traumas just to to get off yeah. on a different path but yeah what you're saying is we bring to the table as trauma survivors because I feel like the passion that Bobby brings to the table as a trauma survivor draws others to this program you know Agreed. you very much attune with you there's somebody who gets it instead of showing up uh, time and time again that's part of my story as well Bradley being re-traumatized no matter where I go for the help it seemed and not to bash the medical model because again there are great therapists out there I know Absolutely. it I have yes you know there my experience though the majority of was and I've heard people even I just watched an interview with uh, Gabor Matei I hope I'm pronouncing that correct where he's speaking with another uh, medically model trained uh, doctor and they're saying talking about the the COVID-19 and everything going out right now and he's saying with all his years of experience and he has some great expertise now in, in trauma-informed work he's a great source for for information and he said we're not prepared for this you know we're not prepared for this level of collective trauma and I'm like wow this is somebody who I look up to saying that coming through and he was talking about their training their their medical training Right. And I'm going, what we have as the association is a whole group of people who are getting information that can really help people dealing with not only these acute traumas that we talk about, but this collective trauma that's going on right now. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let, let's talk a little bit about that, if you don't mind, the, the collective sure. trauma. Obviously, uh, we're talking about uh, the COVID-19 situation that, yeah. that we're all going through. I don't think. Well, I. I, I I don't, I don't, I don't want to say that. I was going to say, I don't think people realize. I think people are beginning to realize. I, I think it's taken a couple of weeks, but a couple of weeks of being locked up, a couple of weeks of being constantly bombarded with conflicting information, um, that there, there really is a collective trauma happening uh, that we all share. There's an underlying, I, I know that I've gone to the grocery store with my wife a couple of times, which isn't something that, that I usually do, but she has uh, admitted that she's had severe anxiety going to the grocery store. And, and I go with her to, to help, help her, her navigate that. Um, and when you, when you go, and as I'm sure you have, there's a, you can feel it in the air. The, the tension is in the air. It's just, it's just not, we know it's not normal, but you can, it's powerful. You can, you can definitely feel, I, I want to ask you, um, what, what kind of advice have you been giving uh, some of your clients who have talked to you about, about this, uh, this collective trauma we're going through? I love the approach of viewing my own trauma and the people who come, come to me for help is, you know, I want to see, pick up on patterns that they might have going on in their lives. Things that are patterns of ways of thinking or reacting. So I see this, this, collective trauma, if we want to call it that, um, that people are experiencing is it's, it's just it, maybe for the first time for a lot of people. For myself, it is I'm not able to get out of my house as much as I want to. I, I would use distractions like going to the gym, going for a road trip. Um, and, and I'm just currently, you know, uh, in a position of kind of reassessing, reclaiming my space, going through a divorce. So my go-to was getting out of the house to get out of toxicity, right? And now that's all changed. Uh, I'm thankful that, you know, I'm no longer in um, that toxic relationship on a daily basis. But I realized some of the things that I wanted to use to cope with this COVID-19 uh, pandemic were, were kind of taken away from me. I can use, I had to, I had to find other ways. Reaching out to uh, mindfulness exercises online has helped me, other things. But I see the pattern is, my my way of overcoming a lot of the stressors or, or the toxicity that I experienced on a daily basis was avoidance. Still, I, I know a lot of these tools through this trauma work. I know how to feel the feelings in my body, the emotions that are coming up and kind of dig deeper and, and, and not run from them. And that's great for healing from trauma. But if you don't understand, I didn't understand that what I was doing 
for a long time to survive a toxic relationship was to kind of avoid it, run from it. Now, granted, sometimes in, in relationships that are like that, getting away, setting boundaries uh, is a great way to survive them. Uh, but I think collectively right now, we see a lot of people who are used to, you know, they go to their job. Some people maybe, maybe even workaholism is a, is a thing or going to the bar after work or going to the golf course, whatever it is, you know, there's, there's things, different things that we do throughout our normal everyday life that we get used to doing. And maybe for the first time we're sitting at home, all of us, and we can't escape the normal ways that not, not escape. I hate that. Use, use these uh, tactics that kind of allow us to avoid, um, always getting deeper, you know, to feeling the feelings that are going on. Because for any of us who have experienced trauma, especially in our early years, and I think everyone has experienced some sort of trauma in some form or another, maybe not as extreme, but we all carry with us these coping mechanisms through the years. And for me, there was a lot of avoidance through the years. And these other ways may have been more subtle, um, not extreme, more acceptable, of course, right? Go to the gym, go for a road trip. But I think a lot of people feel that their their reactions to everyday situations now bubble up and become more extreme because this is the first time they've ever really had to sit with them and not have their normal avoidance routes available. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that completely. Um, on, a, on a similar note, um, my wife and I, we almost divorced 15 years ago. And when when that happened we i'm very fortunate that she was um she was as equal uh, equally willing to break everything down and and really dissect everything and we did that at a time we had no idea what we we're doing but when i look I'm, when i look back i'm amazed that, that we were able to do what we did because i didn't have near the knowledge that i have now but we identified that that our lives were were built around working all day coming home, throwing the kids in the car, taking them to whatever athletic activities they had, and coming home and eating dinner really late, putting everybody to bed, going to sleep, and doing the same thing the next day. And that, that yeah. happened over and over and over and over and over. And ended up that our relationship was completely, there was no relationship. We were completely, it was revolving around our kids' activities, which were taking away our family time. And 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 I don't want to get too deep into this, but you know we we travel all over the country uh, with, with athletics, and and all the times that we spent in gymnasiums is all they're all running together. The time that we the, the times that we went camping or went on a family trip, um, those stand out. We didn't do near enough of those. Yeah. And and my point is is that we found that our marriage was breaking down because we had over invested in those same things. We were we were just nonstop all day. Whether we were intentionally doing that or not is not really the point um, because I think some people just do it. You know, for example, uh, both of my sons now, uh, they, they, keep, they keep themselves busy all day long because they were taught, we taught them to do that. So I right, think some right. people are a victim of that, of just the, the, the speed of society and, and getting caught up and this is what we're supposed to do and putting their kids first, which is a different topic for a different, different, different day. Yeah. But it's that exact same thing that you're talking about, whether it's intentional or unintentional, we're not connecting uh, with our feelings internally. We're not able to process stuff. Stuff builds up. And um, right. and now it's okay to an extent. It's not really okay. It's why you should get therapy or have a coach. But it's right. okay to an extent until everything suddenly stops. Yeah. And, and now you don't have it. And I think that's exactly what you were alluding to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we are in a, what, globally i suppose you could say it right now right it's a it's a global slowdown not just a social distancing people people are having to step back uh, unless they're essential workers and whatnot right and there's a whole nother level of what probably they're experiencing and in, in the anxiety and the trauma that they they face every day but in having to slow down and and feel some of the feelings and I'm, and thanks for sharing too about about your uh, uh and i'm glad that you and your wife were able to see through that and get through that um my experience has been i wanted to do that same thing but didn't have the same uh level of acceptance and willingness on my partner's behalf we are still getting along we're trying to make this an amicable uh thing um but but that uh, is to be applauded that you guys re realize that and i i hope to see that 
in more and more relationships, people be able to step back and view it that way because um, one of the aspects I didn't expect through all of this was the type of, as, as a trauma survivor, as somebody who has a lot of the tools to, to, to try to regulate some of this stuff, I did not realize how hard the grief would hit me through this process yeah. of something that I wanted. Um, so I want to tell anybody who else, else who's, who's you know, choosing to change their life through divorce or separation or whatever, that, uh, that it's normal. There's going to be periods of grief that pop up when, when you make that choice that are unexpected, and it's okay. Yeah, yeah, I, that, that's a great point. And uh, we, we talk about this, I think we, we actually may have talked about this last week on one of the uh, association calls that, um, and, and, and I don't want to make the direct correlation with, with, with your situation with your marriage, but we, we talked about toxic relationships and toxic family members and that type thing. And that um, sometimes it, it's necessary to separate ourselves from toxic situations, but we still grieve the relationship. We still had a connection with another human being. It's not, and, and sometimes I think people that, that emotion drives people to stay in a relationship they shouldn't because they're afraid of the separation. They're afraid of the grief, which is part of what, of what we do to help people navigate that grief and understanding. But, but mourning a toxic, uh, mourning the separation of a relationship with a toxic person is is normal. It becomes conflicting, like you said. It's something you thought you wanted, and then here you you still have these negative emotions, and then which causes confusion, right? Because you're like, well, I thought this is what I wanted, but this yeah. this hurts. So if it hurts, maybe it isn't what I wanted, and and that 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 just causes more confusion. Oh yeah, uh, to swirl around, and so I, yeah, I'm glad you I'm glad you made that point. Yeah. I mean, the first time the kids went away and now it's been a few times now, this is a relatively new thing, but now they've moved back and forth trying to be 50, 50 on the, on the kids being with me or with her. The first time they went, wow, what an explosion of just every time I'd turn around, I'd have this grief pop up and it's gotten easier each time it, it, you get through it. But I feel you're right. It kept me, I, I waited a long time and I tried to navigate to the point where we could we could get to the point where we agreed that this was the best thing for us two human beings. So the fact that I was able to do that, I know it can be done. I didn't think it was going to be able to be done, and it and it's happening. Um, but a lot of what kept me there is you're right that you get into this. At least I know how to navigate this. I was with this person for over 20 years, married no, over 17, right? At least I know. We never cheated on each other. That was never a problem. We were loyal to each other in that respect. There just became this, I don't know, this underlying energy where it was not positive for us to, to be in the same space all the time. I think I would, I look forward to, you know, months or years down the road, still being friends and maybe even being really good friends with this person that we have children together and we'll still have parts of our life that, that interconnect, but that you're right that kept me and held me in that place was especially with the trauma history that I only really learned to fully understand more in the last few years. There's a lot of fear of that next step of that unknown. Um, and then when this happened with the pandemic and everything else, my coping mechanisms, like, like I mentioned earlier, being kind of torn away from me, you know, what do I do? What do I do now? You know, and it's been a kind of an amazing and beautiful thing to watch as more people showed. There's a lot of people putting up their, you know, sign up for, show up for a free meditation or show up for a free yoga class online. And I just started hitting some of those. And I was amazed because I'm more of an extroverted person who loves to connect and, mm -hmm. and make new relationships and have conversations. And that energizes me to go on and do other work. Um, so the first couple of times I did that, I was like, wow, you know, this was missing. And it's not the same model I had used before of going to the gym or going for a ride to visit a friend or something like that. It, it looks different, but it's still possible. And that was, that was a huge realization for me just recently. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. I appreciate you, you sharing that aspect that I've had a similar, because I'm, I'm like you, I, I, I enjoy connecting with other people. I'm very extroverted. I'm very, I'm very active and I enjoy various experiences and yeah. So I had to, I had to really turn inward and really focus and break that down to see what I was doing to keep busy, and what I was doing because I enjoyed it. And I and I've come to yeah. the conclusion that I enjoy being I enjoy being busy. I enjoy doing things, 
And the key there is, um, is the mindfulness aspect of it. If you're doing something and you're mindful that you're doing it and you enjoy it, that's okay. If you're doing something to distract you, but you're still disassociated, you're just keeping busy while you're still worrying about other things, thinking about other things, you're not really connected to where you're at. That's just getting you through the day until you can go to bed and shut your eyes and not think about it anymore until you can start over the next day, which is a different a, a different process entirely. Yeah. Um, I, I don't yeah. know if you know, I, I don't think, we, I may have mentioned it, but we haven't talked about it directly, that I'm, I'm a certified mindfulness instructor as well. Okay, yeah, yeah, all right. I, I might have mentioned that, but that's that's good to know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so mindfulness has changed everything. It's been a huge, uh, as all as all of the coaches have with their different backgrounds, with your neuroeffective touch and that thing. You know, right. we, we all find our path and find uh, the, the next step that takes us to another level. And uh, my mindfulness certification, though I've always been interested in, in meditation and ancient religions, and uh, and I've meditated and, and done these things. When I, when I began the certification process, I really leveled up at that point. It really, yeah. really sent me on a new path, really opened up new things of, uh, of just how disassociated I was all day long. Even, even with knowing the things that I knew about trauma and, and even, it, it's funny that I was aware that I was disassociating with that, but I wasn't really aware that I was disassociating at the time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that makes perfect sense to me. Yep. <laughs> I, I would be disassociated thinking about being disassociated. Disassociation. Yeah. And the mindfulness really helped helps me. I don't want to say helped. It helps me. It's a it's a process. I still go through periods, you know, I relapse like everybody else. Just you know, it's the ebb and flow, the up and down. I can imagine that going through that process of doing the certification was powerfully healing, sort of like going through the association's initial training. Yeah. There's a lot of healing that goes on in that process. Uh, I'm not certified in mindfulness, but I went to, I don't know, a three or four day long um, thing out in uh, Denver with Jack Cornfield and was exposed to this, you know, just really it dived in every dove in every day. We did some, you know, exercises with other people, exercises by ourselves. You know, now I'm a fan. And, and initially, before I had gone to that, and I still, even after going to that, shied away from more stillness uh, practices because my normal way to ground would be movement generally i fell on the spectrum of parasympathetic activation sure. of my nervous system where i needed to move to feel calm but i've noticed through the years of doing more of the trauma work on myself and the more that i've gotten into energy work and body work and things like that and being able to release some of the effects stored in my body of that trauma that now i can go to those places and I, and I use more of those mindfulness practices alongside touch, alongside other things, and I'm able to calm myself with more of those techniques. So I think that's an important distinction to make. When people come to you, there's going to be people along different parts of that spectrum where they use to calm. But making that point for, for my own um, situation, my own story, I, I didn't think I'd ever be able to go sit in a yoga class and feel calm by yeah. the end. And now I want to, you know, I didn't think I could sit online and have somebody run me through a, a meditation or mindfulness practice and actually really feel the connection to them and to myself and feel centered and grounded. And now I can, you know, so I think that's a powerful, that goes hand in hand, what you do with the, the mindfulness and the meditation with this work as well as coaching. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I want to, you, you, you stated this, but I want to go back and exaggerate the point. Um, because not everyone in their journey is ready for mindfulness. Right. That is a, that is a key point that, that uh, we need to make here. Um, I, even though I, I believe mindfulness is secure, I think it's, I think it's secure all to end all. I, I, I really do. I think once you get to a point where you're practicing mindfulness that, and you continue to practice, you, you get better and better and better. And the goal is to eventually be mindful all day long. Yeah. And, and then there's a process that changes in your brain and it, it begins to overcome uh, the, the inner critic and shut down the noise in the brain. There's a lot to it. However, for people who are not ready, who have suffered uh, trauma. Um, and I, I mean, I don't, I don't know how to calculate how to calculate trauma, but people who have suffered right. severe trauma and have a lot going on in their head that they haven't yet been able to sort out and, and get a grip, if you will, at that point. I don't mean that negatively. I, I mean that right. legitimately. 
Um, just where they are. Mindfulness can, yeah. Mind, being alone with yourself before you're ready can be very, very destructive. Yes. And, and before you realize that the patterns that are going on that your mind's trying to use to keep you safe are not, that's not something that you need to run from. However, you know why the coaching relationship is so powerful and why my thoughts before I ever knew this coaching existed were I just wished somebody would walk that road with me instead of feeling like yeah. when I go to a therapist, I go, I feel a little better for a little while and I go home and I, I didn't have a support system. I didn't have that built up, um, you know, to where I felt like I could continue that growth journey. I would find little pockets of, you know, self-awareness or, or spiritual awakening, if you will, by reading different things and seeking different things out. But to have this, this connection with a human being where now the science is caught up, it knows uh, that we can help each other to shift our nervous systems when you come into communication. And especially, I believe, with one-on-one, -on -one, face to face. But I think it's even possible in a, set, a setting like this, through a video session with someone, being able to to see how they react to you non-verbally as well as verbally. Um, but yeah, what you hit on with that people not being ready uh, to get there, right? What's going on right now is you've got whole populations of people home sitting, whether they want to or not and things kicking up inside them, and they probably don't even quite understand why they might be getting more angry quicker. Uh, they might be getting more emotional or anxious more quickly because we've never, you know, as a population, haven't been forced to sit still and think about those things. But that's part of that mindfulness process you mentioned is, you know, understanding that every reaction we have in life is informed by our past emotional baggage. Everything we come up against is informed by it. And if we can't sit with that and feel it and try to understand that I'm mad at Joe because Joe looked at me weird or said something funny, but it's not really Joe I'm mad at. I'm expecting Joe to be different maybe than something that happened to me in my past because I thought Joe was a good friend. You know, there's so much going on there. And until we're ready to, maybe sit with that and feel through that, right? Not everybody is ready for that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, excellent point. And a lot of time it's, um, it's, it's just based on our perception of those neural pathways. Um, you know, how many times have we, we suspected someone, uh, you know, of, I don't know, of meaning, meaning something. Um, and they, it, it, we, we thought they meant one thing, we got upset, we got angry, don't come find out they meant something completely different. Um, yeah, doctor, I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Dr. Stephen Covey, and he wrote Seven Habits of Highly Successful People. And I heard him tell a story once about being on the subway. And he said that um, when he was on the subway, that a man and his children got onto the subway and the man sat down next to him. And he said his children were, were it was, you know, I, I don't know what city he was in, but he said it was, you know, a busy time. And the, and the children were running around all over the subway and they were screaming and they were fighting. And he said, you know, he was patient for a while. And then he asked the man, he said, hey, do you, do you think, would you mind doing something about your children? And he said that, he said he was, you know, he got to the point where he got annoyed and, and, and said, would you mind doing something? And he said that the man turned to him and said, I guess you're right. He, he, you know, he said, I guess you're right. I didn't even realize this was going on. He said, uh, I guess they're just still upset or confused and upset. We just came from the hospital where their mother died. And he said immediately his paradigm shifted, you know, and, the, and that perception is very, very powerful. And, yes. you know, the, you were just talking about that, about uh, the example you used about a friend that you got upset, you expected them to be different. And sometimes you sometimes it's our expectations that they should be different. Uh, sometimes it's our perception that we think they're really doing something that they're really not based on our previous right. history that we see see them through that lens. And that's where the awareness, the awareness really begins to come in as we practice and adopt that, that we can stop, we can stop those, those neural pathways that stop that chatter um, in, in its tracks and reevaluate the situation and try to see it differently right. than we've seen it before. Yeah, the, the power of a presupposition, assuming something is, is what you perceive it to be, it's different than what it may, may, right. may really be is powerful shift from like, I love the example of the, the train. It makes me think about people sitting at home with their kids. And instead of as a parent, I'm going, you know, this is the first time this has happened. You know, how can I handle this differently? Instead of me 
dang it, kids, why don't you just calm down and behave? Don't you understand that, you know, the world's under, instead of that, what if, what if we're going, you know, we are the epitome of no matter how hard it is for us to try to find ways to calm our own nervous system, whether that means, you know, if exercise helps you calm, if meditation helps you calm, of being the model for your kids, much like this, this father on this train, right? Sitting, calm, understanding that there's probably nothing you can say to his kids that's going to make this situation better. And that person sitting next to him asking him, could you take care of your kid? What a shift that perception is. What a shift if your kids come to you in the middle of a pandemic and they're like, you know, dr- bouncing off the walls, going crazy. And you're like, you know, it's going to be okay, guys. Yeah. You know, let's go outside and play. Not to say that people need to shift what they're doing, but man, it's all about mirroring. It's all about trying to give, give the world, um, you know, if I want the, if I want my kids to be calm in situations, but I overreact in situations, how do they ever learn um, to be different? That's right. Because children don't learn by being told they learn by observation. Um, you know, and I think people forget that, you know, that do as I say, do as I do, as I say, not as I do thing. It doesn't go very far. Uh, it doesn't go very far at all. What I, what I like about what's happening and not that I like what's happening. I don't, I don't want to give the wrong impression, but the, the unexpected benefit of this whole thing is, is that we're forced, we're forced to slow down. We're forced to slow down and see that life doesn't have to be at a hundred miles an hour like we've all been caught up doing. And, and yeah. even me, I, you know, I, it, the amazing thing about recovery is, is once you get to, once you get on to a certain point, you begin to realize that um, the more, you know, you realize the more you don't know and, and that there's always right. a learning experience in, in, in every situation. And I just told you that I, you know, I'm a mindfulness instructor and, and that, that whole shebang. And then this happened and I realized I was still going faster than I wanted to go. You know, and so I think if people, hopefully people listening to this will, will understand that just because we're used to the way things are, doesn't mean that they should be that way. And, and I like seeing some of the posts where people are like, I'm tired of watching Netflix. I'm tired of watching TV. You know, this is why we're starting to see some of the unrest we've seen in the couple, last couple of days. People are like, Hey, I've been locked up long enough. This is a good opportunity to do some of the things we're talking about here and really start to evaluate, do we really need to be that busy? Do we really need to go, go right. back to um, business as usual, you know, the way it was and everybody just you know, run around? Go ahead. I'm, I'm glad you, you brought that up. This brings me back to talking about how I used to use movement and I still do. It's still, I still a go-to for me to, to just feel healthy and normal and, and whether it's to fix anxiety or it's just now the pattern that I've got to try to stay healthy holistically. But I also used to use it as a way to avoid getting to the point of feeling like I was a pressure cooker, pressure cooker ready to explode. I didn't want to yell at my kids for reasons that I didn't understand my trauma history before it was hashed out and worked through with trauma-informed help was, was something that was easy for me to get to that point. But I could use movement, and I knew that it was something that would work. Now, Grant, did I ever grow up and yell? You better believe it. You know, I had plenty of times where I had to apologize for my behavior. However, knowing that that can shift is a powerful example that I want to, to tie to what you just said. We're sitting in this place where you see people getting this feeling of unrest, where we have an, an entire association of people who are, are trained in this trauma recovery coaching. And this is kind of a plug, guys, coming up here. We've got people who want to, to help for free, right? We've got this going on right now. If they go to the, the IAOTRC website where there's myself a lot of others, I don't know, Bradley, if you're on there uh, for that as well, I'm not sure. Yeah. Wonderful. You know, that people, if you're looking to understand what it, what it feels like to not have to feel like you've got to move, that this is uncomfortable and you're anxious and you want to figure out how to handle that uncomfortable and anxious, I'm not saying that we shouldn't get back to a society more along a norm that we were used to, but just that while we're in this place, if you have the time, reach out and, and reach out to somebody who's been in a place of this high anxiety as a norm, as a trauma survivor, because that, that hypervigilance that goes alongside with that generally is something that all of us have had to try to come to terms with and overcome. And there's a lot of people with a lot of uh, great 
trauma-informed training, wanting to reach out to help others try to get to that point where they can shift towards away from feeling maybe what I need to do because I'm sick of being cooped up at home is be angry and, and, and go out into the world. Instead, maybe I, I can take a, a step back and go, how, how do I feel like I'm in control of my anxiety or anger, whatever it is, at any given moment? What, what tools can I learn? Because there's a lot of people that are willing to want and wanting to teach. Yeah. 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 yeah great. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, and, and now um, this, it, it spurned another thought that, um, that movement is a, is a great way to deal with, with anxiety and, and frustration. Uh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a personal trainer and I've coached for a long time. And uh, I also taught middle school for a couple of years. And one thing I have noticed is that, so when I, I taught, <clears throat> when I taught fifth grade for a year, self-contained classroom, uh, you know, I, I was teaching yep. middle school PE and health and the assistant principal took a principal position at a, at a grade school. And he asked me to take a fifth grade uh, self-contained classroom. And I used to call the guy a friend. I don't know that I can, I don't know that I can do that. Um, we have more in common than I thought, Bradley. I used to sub in the schools right. in my area. I've subbed in all the schools. Okay. So I, can, I know where you're going. So I, 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 I had these kids. I had, there were 30 of them. We were, we were, the classroom was, was, was overfilled. And we had, uh, we were supposed to have like a 20 minute recess per day. And it just wasn't going to happen. So I kind of, right. I'm, I'm one to not really follow rules. You'll, you'll learn that about me. Um, I, I do what makes sense. I don't, I don't care. Yeah. I, you know, I, I give things a lot of thought. I evaluate things and if it makes sense to me, I'll do it. And if I'm wrong and I'll, I'll apologize. But I started taking these kids out for two or three recesses a day. And, and I also incorporated a few rules that they could get up out of their seat at any time. Now telling a fifth grader, they could get out of their seat at any time. Seems like it should be a disaster. Right. But their rules were they could go get a drink of water or they could go to the restroom anytime they wanted. And I didn't care how many times they did it. The only rule was they couldn't bother someone else in the classroom while they did it. Now, yeah. it, took a, it took a little bit to kind of work that out. But then it got to, at first, you know, they're still tapping each other on the finger or on the shoulder or sticking their finger in their ear or whatever. That kind of died <laughs> right. down. Um, then they're still taking advantage of, they're going off. But then that kind of died down. And yeah. And it really helped. I gave them, I gave them that autonomy. I gave them that chance to move. And then I even had a young man who was just on all the time and I gave him permission. He could get out of his seat and he could do planks or he could go do wall sits against the wall. Right. And the, the, the effect was remarkable on these kids. It was just absolutely remarkable. They needed to burn that energy off. And I don't think we're right. giving kids and, and as adults, we don't give ourselves, we're, we're creatures. Our bodies are designed to work physically work, not cubicle work, physical work. Right. And, and I think that if we don't give it that, we have an energy that, that builds. And, yeah. and, and, and there's other issues with trauma and, and, and those type of things. And, and stuff. Right. But I, so one of the things I recommend a lot to, uh, to clients that, that I've had, um, and, and this spills over from my personal training days, when I had people come to me in personal training and we'd have conversations, when they began personal training, they, they began to feel happier and, and those changes began to spill over into other things. Um, yeah. One of the things that, that I recommend to people is to not just train to train. Don't just get on a, a, a treadmill and walk. Simulate some type of combat movement. Get your body to, to I don't care if you're doing a, 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 like a kickboxing class or you're lifting heavy weights or you're doing some type of explosive, you know, jumping movements, plyometrics, whatever, right. something that's engaging that, that kind of simulates that, that human combat thing that you got going on to get that negative emotion, channel it to where it wants to go. You know, right. everybody at one point has been so angry, they felt like they could hurt someone. Well, right. if that's what you got going through your mind, then go simulate you're doing that, burn all that off, get it all out. And, and I don't, you know, some people it might be jujitsu. Some people it might just be, like I said, doing plyometrics. But right. that, simulate that intensity to channel that to burn to burn that off, and yeah. and to take it even a step further to the things that we're talking about. If you're angry all the time, then work out all the time until you figure out how to not let your anger build. Right. Until you until you adopt other modalities to be able to recognize it when it's happening, to be able to express yourself, not just you know 
let people insult you and you don't say anything and then you let it build and you get angry and uh, you know, so do this until you can do this. Yeah, I think a lot of the, the approach that we take as coaches, I, I consider myself, even though I don't plug that or, or market it or whatever, a holistic coach. You know, I'm, I'm going to take an, a look at everything. Can we address everything at once? Like you're saying, maybe if, if I come to you and I say, man, when I go, to the, I go to the gym, I seem to be happier. I seem to not blow up the people. Then then let's at least make that a habit. Let's make try to... And, and with me, in my own story of getting into better physical shape as a, as a tool to feel better and to, to heal from trauma and everything, it was, it was a long process till I got to the point where I was keeping it pretty consistent, but I also wasn't guilting myself or shaming myself when I couldn't go, right? Yeah. It was a gentle process of getting right. to, it's okay if I don't go, the intention is set, eventually I will go on a more regular basis. Um, but knowing that you use what, use your strengths, much like, you know, uh, uh, you wouldn't tell a kid who's, who's really, their gift is um, art or whatever, to sitting there painting all day, you wouldn't tell them, go out there and learn how to, to run a quicker quarter mile because dang it, everybody needs to do that. No, work on your painting the more, the much as you can. We want you to be active kid, but this is your passion. Do it. You know, if this helps right. you center, do it. But that kid that, that would rather, you know, would rather break that paintbrush and sit down and paint, but he's out there running around in circles all the time. Let the kid run, you know, and, yeah. and use, use their strengths. Like you're saying, you know, if, if that's what works, work that thing. But then we're also as a coach trying to, I'm trying to take a look at the whole picture and going, you know, if somebody's staying up till three in the morning, every, every night, how can we shift your mind mindset and get you some, some things that help you to get to a calm state and sleep? Um, some different different techniques that we can use, some different uh, uh, things that you can try. It's some listening to some different types of tracks, binaural tracks, bilateral tracks, something whatever whatever works for that person. Uh, buying a face mask, you know, weighted blankets. There's all kinds of different things that people can try, and different things are going to work for different people. You know, if somebody says that they're they're eating junk food all day, well, how have you tried getting off of you know processed foods and getting onto not to say that diet is it for everybody. But, you know, I try to take a look at everything and, and use the strengths that you see, first of all, right? If this makes you feel good, like you said, right. get to the gym and go every day until you feel like you've got that thing that you know you're doing well. It does help to take a, a perspective shift to the overall, you know, want to de desire to heal a trauma. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so uh, you know, we're, 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 we're getting close to time here, but. I want right. to I really, because I'm a holistic life coach. That's what, what I was doing before uh, the trauma, um, before I became a trauma recovery coach. So I, 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 okay. I try to integrate the two. Um, and the, I've completely lost my point. That's all right. <laughs> I would say if it's a, if you lost that train, if it's a good one, it'll be back. <laughs> yeah, that's what happens. Yeah. Sometimes I think about too many things at once, you know? Right, right. The, but the holistic approach, I think it's necessary. You know, we, we can't just fix one thing. And it's much like uh, how I see the, the deficiencies in the medical model. You can't just approach the brain and say, let's fix the whole system by just addressing this by talk. Um, when part of what the neuroaffective touch and the neuroaffective relational model is taking into account is that the body stores trauma. And if we can get the body to, to, if you can feel through and try to connect the mind to what it's feeling in the body and maybe get below that and remember back to where this might have begun and sit with that and realize that you're safe in the moment, that, that's a, that shifts can occur. Um, you know, but without, without taking a look at the holistic piece of the puzzle, you know, is if somebody's, if somebody's sleep schedule is whack and you're, you're working on some pretty deep feeling trauma stuff, but they, they come to you every week. How much sleep did you get every night? Well, a couple hours. That's enough for me. I'm good. Wait a minute. You know, how much healing is actually going to happen? That's going to be lasting. If, if, you know, somebody's basic needs aren't being met, you know, do they, are they getting, do they have shelter? Do they have food and water? Do they, do they get enough sleep? Um, so I like the holistic approach. Yeah. 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 And, and I remember what I was going to say, um, okay. you, you touched came on, back. yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it, and it's, it's all relevant to what we're talking about. You had touched on uh, about going to the gym and, and not meeting your goals and, and the shame. Yeah. And shame is something that we haven't talked about much here, but it's something we talk about 
often, every, every time we have a conversation in the association, uh, we talk about shame. And I, I think one of the biggest things that a coach does that we do is help people navigate their shame through the voice of reason. And, and I want to use that as a perfect example. You know, if someone uh, is, they've decided they're going to exercise three times, three times a week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, every week. And then uh, work gets busy, kids get sick. Um, they just don't feel like it, you know, whatever. And they miss one or two. We all know, uh, we all know that, that if you miss one or two, then you're, you're more likely to miss seven or eight. I mean, that's just the way right. life works. And that a coach really has the capacity to, because people will get down and they'll be like, oh my gosh, I, I stopped going. Now I can't go and it's just miserable and I'm tired and, and, and I don't feel like going, blah, 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 blah. That a coach really offers that, that voice of reason that you can't access through the shame, that the shame blocks that, that you're really down on yourself. Yeah. And the coach is able to help you lift some of that guilt and that shame off. Say, hey, it's not such a big deal. Um, you know, you can get right back on. It's okay. Life happens. And right. really reach that point that, that people have a trouble reaching themselves. Even I have trouble reaching that myself. I, I mean, I'm a coach and, and I've, I've gone through a lot of years of recovery. And I still get something out of every meeting we have with the association. I've been thinking about, you know, hiring a coach personally, because we, we all need that person to be that angel on our shoulder and say, hey, this isn't so bad. You don't you don't need to worry about this. And the one phrase that I use all the time with with all my clients in every aspect of everything I started doing with personal training, um, but now really fits in all of the coaching is that falling off the wagon is never the problem. Right not getting back on the wagon is the problem. Yeah. And it yeah. really shifts our focus away from I'm an idiot because I, you know, I'm, I'm a horrible person because I, I called my ex again, or I started drinking or I stopped going to the gym or I started eating Cheetos and donuts again. It doesn't matter because we're human beings and that's what we do. We can, yeah. we continually want to, we're continually drawn back to revert to our old programming all the time. And, it, and that's why it's recovery because it, it doesn't matter whether, it, whether it's alcohol or whether it's relationships, we always want to go back to our old patterns. And when we do, when we slip and we fall off the wagon, just get up, dust yourself off, and jump back on and, and give it another shot. Yeah, I like what Bobby calls the uncomfortable comfort zone, right? We, we slip yeah. back into that sometimes. Those neurological pathways are the old, some of the oldest we have, especially if they developed early in our life. Um, but we have the the ability, I love that, getting getting off the, you know, the whole, the whole fall down, fall down seven times, get up eight, whatever that right. saying is, you know, I, I learned from a friend of mine who I guess I could call him, he was the coach when it came to my physical um, uh, exercise and working out and going to the gym, I would get down on myself and I'd call him and say, you know, I wanted to keep accountable. And so I, I use this in my coaching very much like you use that phrase of, of the wagon and is if I was to imagine, you know, the bar graph and I'm plotting dots and here I am, I missed, or I fell down here, you know, but then I, the next week it's up here and then it's there. As long as that sucker's trending upward, that's all that matters. Yeah. I got the intention of getting to a certain place. It's okay if it looks messy getting there, but if I can keep my eye on where I want to be and set that intention, eventually I'll get there. That's right. Um, that's right. It's playing the long game. Gentle approach. Yeah, yeah. And and then put that alongside the coaching. And we're, we're instead of instead of realizing that, man, I just want to change my life. What you're actually doing is you're creating new neurological pathways. Those old ones, they liked it. They liked it because the brain is trying to keep the body safe from whatever initially caused it to go to those, to those pathways. Now you're creating new ones and it takes practice. It takes being gentle with yourself, but also recognizing that you're trying to change something that's been there for a long, long, long time. Yeah. Yeah. And learning new things isn't easy. If anyone's ever tried to pick up an instrument and learn an instrument, yeah. It takes a while, you know, you have to, you have to, to forge those new paths and, and, and strengthen them. And, 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 and then you pick up on, on the new habits. And that's one thing I said about, especially with, with, with clients, uh, the personal training clients, but also yeah. with, uh, coaching clients is I used to tell people, look, you, you know, you, it took you, it's, it, you've had bad habits for 30 years. You're just not going to straighten it out in three weeks. <laughs> right. Right. Just not well, that's happen. what we want. That's what we want when we get there. But yeah, that's right. Right. It's definitely, yeah. definitely a journey. So, well, uh, 
Well, we're we're out of time, but I, I man, this was this was even better than I expected, and I expected to be pretty good. Um, I, I knew we'd have a great conversation, so I, I definitely I appreciate you. I appreciate you joining me today, and I'd lo- I'd love to have you back. I mean, we could just I think we could just talk for hours and hours and hours. So if, yeah. if you're willing, we'd, I think I'd so. I appreciate the opportunity, Bradley. Yeah, and I would be back whenever you want. You bet. Okay. Well, I will definitely definitely be in touch. So again, thank you and, uh, you know, take care of yourself. All right. You do the same. Stay safe. I appreciate it. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Hello? Is anyone here? Hello? Hello? Oh, oh, hi. There you are. I've been looking all over for you. I want to thank you for listening uh, today. I also want to tell you, if you haven't checked out my website lately, uh, you should do that. It's www.thebradleyhall.com. Just to remind you, I am a holistic life coach, a certified mindfulness instructor, and I am a trauma recovery coach. And in these uncertain times, sometimes we just need someone to talk to, to help us clear our thoughts, help us organize our thoughts, and help us map out a clear direction of where we want to go to help us navigate through the obstacles that we we may encounter through daily life. And I'm here to do that for you. So check out my website. I've got plenty of free content uh, on my my website, also on my YouTube channel, which is The Bradley Hall and uh, The Health Preacher. And uh, I'd love to hear from you. So thanks again for listening. We appreciate your support. And until then, take care of yourself.